All right, so I'm really putting my sermon slide to use this weekend. Um, you're welcome. The sermon slide is essentially a picture of a steak on a grill, and you'll notice that this is a real like charcoal grill. It's none of this propane or natural natural gas easiness. And then a big cake, a chocolate cake. Anybody here like chocolate cake? Anybody? Some hands in the back? I didn't even ask for hands. So if you put your hand up, I know you really mean it. And then in the bottom right-hand corner, we have a mountain of bacon. Let's just have a moment of silence. For all those poor little piggies. And then if you want to uh, shake Steve's hand after the service, you're welcome to do that as well. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, you know, I'm trying to be eclectic. I'm trying to be thoughtful of other people. There's uh, a bean and kale salad in the bottom left-hand corner, just in case that's what turns your crank. I just wanted to be welcoming. Not everybody's into bacon, but... So, if that's what you like, then there you go. Is anybody salivating yet? I know it's kind of the first service, so some of you still might have your your eggs and bacon still working its way through the old system. But I'm, I'm hoping to talk long enough so that everybody is wishing I would just be quiet so that they could hit McDonald's on the way home because you've been staring at steak and bacon. And though I'm not sure what goes into the meat of a hamburger is anything like what is on that grill up there, um, you can at least imagine that it is while you're gulping down that double hamburger with extra bacon on it. This morning message is on having a hunger for God. And we're going to be working through Psalm 23. And essentially this psalm works because our souls have a stomach. Our souls have a stomach that gets hungry just like our bellies do. And we're meant to fill it with the living God. So let's read Psalm 63 together. This is King David. Church, these are the very words of God. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Father, I pray that you would just come afresh by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know you've been with us as we've sung your praises. Lord, you, your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people, which 
means that you come in a special way when your people are together worshiping you. Father, Jesus said that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is there, and especially for bringing justice and your judgment into the world. And I mean the judgment in the good sense. Father, I pray that you would come as we are gathered in your name and are seeking to gather around your word, that you would come and feed us, that you would change us, that you would transform us, Lord, that your word would be a hammer, breaking every hard part in our hearts or our minds, that your word would be a sharp sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit and flesh and marrow, Lord Jesus, that you would do your work through your word. And Lord, that you would use this message to launch us into two weeks of prayer and fasting where we're going to be saying no to our other appetites in profound ways in order to say yes to the appetite for God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We're fasting. As we participate in it, we're fasting. We're saying no to earthly appetites in order to say yes to our appetite for God. That's what fasting is about. So I want to look at this message, which is about David working through some of his appetites in life, and mainly his appetite for God, and just use this as a launch point. And I want to start by going to the end, okay? This is often a wise thing to do. I had this lesson from a teacher once in school. Thank you, teachers. Uh, He gave us this big sheet with all these instructions to do on it. You know, fold the paper in half, staple the paper, punch holes in the paper, write on the paper. But the last instruction was uh, disregard all previous instructions and then hand this paper in to your teacher. And so you were supposed to read through the entire thing and read that it was a a trick and a trap. And then just go and hand the paper in blank. And so there's a lesson to be taken. It's really good to read the, the, the whole thing sometimes. Read the whole psalm. And for me, I think it's very wise to read the whole psalm and start at the end because um, David is writing this psalm in trouble. Okay, listen to this. He says, those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. Okay, if someone is seeking to destroy your life, you have problems. Amen? Now, I'm not going to ask because you may be trying to keep it on the low profile, but some of you may actually have people who are seeking to destroy your life. I wish I could say I didn't know of any situations at Calvary Chapel where people actually had people in their lives who wanted to utterly destroy them. But it's not the case. We live in the real world, and despite the fact that this is Canada where things are mostly nice and where you can drive your shopping cart into somebody's heels so hard that it draws blood and they will apologize to you, despite that being our reality... Some of us have lives like that, where we know there are people who want to destroy us. And even if there aren't people who want to destroy us, every single believing Christian in this room has an enemy of their soul. They have the prince of the power of the air who is at work in the sons of disobedience who want to destroy our lives. And even if they can't steal our souls from the Lord, they want to make us as useless as possible in this life and turn us into rebellious children against the Lord. we got problems. All right. And David had problems. And the reason I want to emphasize this is because it's easy to have a sermon about seeking God or hungering for God and think that this is about us just becoming 
scrubbier, cleaned Christians. Like we're having a competition to be who's most holy. I'm most holy. I fasted the most. I'm most holy. I prayed the hardest. I did 18 hours in the soaking room. I'm, I'm, I'm a total spiritual raisin. You know what I mean? My fingers, I can't even get a fingerprint anymore. I'm so soaked up in the Lord. Aren't I great? Aren't I wonderful? Isn't this special? Where's my medal? This isn't what this psalm is about. This isn't what hungering after the Lord is about. This is the mindset of David. This is his thought process. People want to kill me. Boy, am I hungry for God. This is where this psalm came from. Man, there's a lot of people who want to destroy my life. According to this, um, the label on this psalm, he was in the desert, in the wilderness of Judah, so Saul wanted to kill him and was seeking to destroy his life. Man, things are really bad. I am so just wanting to be with you, God, in response to all this hostility, all these problems. And this is important to see that David's doing this because very often our problems are the things that we use as an excuse to not hunger after the Lord. Amen? Very often our hardships are the reasons that we walk away from the Lord. Amen? If things were just easier, then I'd have time. If I could just, you know, if the money was flowing a little bit easier, I could afford to get the $5 cappuccino at the coffee shop. And then once I was out, and then and once everything's easy, then I can really, really, really hunger and thirst after the Lord. And it's not true. When things are easy, that's when we tend to not hunger and thirst after the Lord, which is why it's helpful sometimes to impose on yourself some kind of hardship during a fast. And when the hard times come because you've decided that you can't have bacon and you can't have steak and you can't have chocolate cake and the pastor started off your fast by putting a picture of chocolate cake and you just finished a chocolate cake last night because you couldn't knew you couldn't have it today. So you ate that entire chocolate cake is why you don't feel so good right now because it's still right in you. It's still, it's, the sugar is still bubbling up like a witch's cauldron and, and you don't feel that great. But you had to have that chocolate cake because you love it and you need it. And now you can't have it. Now we really need God. Because there's troubles. And so this is an amazing psalm to me because we don't even find out that David has troubles until after he's sought the Lord and been with the Lord. But I don't want us to go away from this message thinking... Boy, the next two weeks are about proving that I'm a really great Christian. No, 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 no. The next two weeks are saying yes to hardship because that increases our appetite for God and forget about comparing, forget about competition, forget about proving things to yourself, just forget about trying to tick boxes and score points and earn medals. It's just, we need to do what we need to do to want God because that is the best life ever. As David says, your steadfast love is better than life. Okay, so what does David do? Okay, he starts off this psalm by turning to the Lord and saying, Oh God, you are my God. And in one sense, that's a weird thing to say. God, you're my God. But in another sense, this is the best. And this is brilliant. Okay, he's in trouble and he's hungering for God. And the first thing he says to God is, You belong to me, God. You're my God. 
God, you are my God. You belong to me. There's a million gods in the world. There's gods everywhere. There's all kinds of false gods. There's all kinds of fake gods. There's all kinds of people who want to pretend to be God. There's all kinds of everything. But no, I've said no to them all. And you are my God. So you have to take care of me because I belong to you and you belong to me. You own me, God, and I own you. You're my God, you're my God, you're my God. And so this is in one sense, David having kind of a holy jealousy over the Lord in his trouble. He's like, God, you can't abandon me. You belong to me. You're my God. And this is amazing because he's not just saying you're my friend or you're my help. He's saying you're my God. And in in the West, we are so saturated in kind of secular thinking and atheistic thinking. We don't even know what it means to have a God. We don't even know what it means to have a God, you know. Uh, we, we just, we, we, don't ha- we don't have a great context. We don't have a great idea for it. Sometimes people in other cultures get converted to Christianity and they go for it way better than us because they knew what it was like to have a God, even though it was a false God or a wrong God. But they knew, well, when you have a God, they're like everything. They're, you do everything to please them. You build your whole life around them. And every time you get in trouble, you, you do whatever they tell you to do in order to get with God so that they rescue you. And, and we just, we don't need that because we've got, we've got healthcare, we've got EI, we've got, um, you, you don't even have to stoke the fires to keep your houses warm in most places in Canada, unless some people like kind of enjoy rustic living and they have a fireplace in their house and it's kind of like, we're cool and I like chopping wood and it's kind of like a, a lifestyle choice. But we got so much technology. Life is so easy here. If you want water, you just go like this. You don't have to walk 10 miles or 5 miles to go and work the well. And some people did grow up like that. So, you know, good for, good for you. But if you're my age, it's been, you have no idea what it's like to actually have to work to stay alive. And so what can happen is that your God is is just what you turn to when when things are really 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 bad. But David's like you're my god, like you are the obsession of my life. You're my god. God, you're my god. I, I belong to you. Everything I am is about you and everything you are is what I care about. I'm obsessed. I'm devoted. And so of course when people want to kill me, I turn to you. That's how I live. That's who I am. You're my God. And all these troubles are what's going on. He, he sees that the biggest need he has in his life is more of the Lord. And so he says to him, I, I'm seeking you. I earnestly seek you. To earnestly means seriously, devotedly, wholeheartedly. I seek you. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And and he knew what it was like. He's out in the wilderness of Judah. It's pretty warm there. That's an understatement. We think pretty warm is negative 13. You know, you go outside and and you're not suffering frostbite. You're like, wow, this is really nice. I was out for 10 minutes without a toucan. Yeah, my ears hurt, but they haven't fallen off. So this is pretty nice. Well, it's like, plus 30 there and and they don't have water bottles if you have water it's you're drinking out of a goat skin and those are hard to come by and so you need wells and that's a lot of work and and so he knows what it's like to be desperately thirsty running around hiding in caves 
wondering if you go into a small town to use their well, if someone's going to snitch on you or spy on you or turn you into the authorities. He noticed what it's like to be really thirsty. And he says, you know what? Bigger than that thirst is my thirst for God. I need you so bad. I need you so bad. And not only does he use the like experience of thirst to talk about and relate about how much he needs God, he also will use the experience of hunger. So he doesn't say, I'm hungry. He says, I'll be satisfied as though I eat. But in verse 5, he says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. So in this one psalm where he's talking about his, his desire for God, he's, he's using thirst and he's using hunger. And he says, like, my whole body wired for appetite. It's just talking to me about my relationship with God. Our, our bodies are wired for appetite. You know, you dive into the bottom of a swimming pool and you just sit there for a little while and then all of a sudden your body starts talking to you. Air, 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 air. Hey, hey, you, stop, stop trying to be cool. Air, air, hey, can you move your arms? Air, air, kick, kick, fight, 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 air, air, air. And your body just screams out and you just thrash and come to the surface. Maybe you never do that. I, I enjoy sitting on the bottom of swimming pools. That's going to be the thing everybody remembers from the message, too. <laughs> Anyhow, you know, you forget to drink for a while or you've only been drinking coffee, which actually causes your body to flush fluids out of yourself. You've been drinking coffee all day and then you get home and your, your lips look like um, dried mud and it's like, people like, and your body starts going, drink, drink something, drink something. No, not more coffee. Drink, drink some water, drink some water, get some Gatorade, just drink, drink, drink. Or you haven't eaten for a while and, and the sermon's going longer and longer and longer and your pastor put a picture of bacon, of all things, up there and you're just like, bacon! And your body's just like, eat, eat, eat! And it actually will start making pains inside of you, like twistings, like, don't ignore me! Don't ignore me! Put something in here! And David uses this experience in just saying, I hurt to have more of you, God. I am so hungry. I am so thirsty. And so he acts. Okay, we see that he acts. Verse 2, he says, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. And then in verse 6, he says, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Okay, so this is the thing. He wants and so he seeks. Okay, um, my, my beautiful wife bought a bag of pralined peanuts the other day. If you know what it looks like, peanut, and then they put this coating of sugar on the outside. And it's a real coating. It's like you have to break it to get that nut out of it. And, uh, and it's so nice that you're, you're, you'll just seek it. Okay? Well, maybe you won't, but I do. I just seek it. It's like, I'm in the kitchen doing the dishes, and, well, bef- you know, while this, while this thing's f- filling up, I'll just, you know, just your arms in, the, in the, the pantry, and you're just like, what just happened? <laughs> and then you're doing the dish, and then you put the last dish away, and you're just like, yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm done my dishes. And you're just like, oh, there's praline peanuts in my mouth again. How did this happen? You seek it. Okay, and so we're, and David's just learned, this is what you do. When you're hungry for God, you act. 
you act. You don't sit around feeling sorry for yourself that you're hungry for God. You don't start telling God, you're messing up. I can't, I feel distant from you. You act. Okay. Nobody here, if you have bacon or chocolate cake or a steak or bean casserole with kale, and that's how you roll, in your fridge, and you're hungry, nobody stands outside of the fridge telling the fridge it stinks because the door is still closed. You act. You open the door. You pull it out. You warm it up if you want to. You just use what God has given you. He's given you fridges. He's given you arms. He's given you a mouse. He's given you teeth. He's given you smell. He's given you all these things so that you can do seeking. And so David doesn't confuse himself. He just says, I'm hungry for God, so I'm going to seek God. Bada bing, bada boom. Okay? And so he does this. He says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. And I'm not sure exactly how this works because David is in the desert. But at least poetically or in his mind, he is calling back when he used to seek the Lord in the sanctuary. And he says he's beheld his power and his glory. And I've had to really think this through because God is invisible, okay? So even when you went to the sanctuary, you didn't see God flexing or fighting or doing anything. He's invisible. So what did he see that made him respond, I have seen your power and your glory. When someone is hungry for God, what do they want to see? They want to see the glory of God on display, Okay, when you want God, you show me your glory, as Moses said back in the day in Exodus after the whole debacle with the bull and everybody was just disappointed. He goes up on the mountain and says, show me your glory. Well, he goes to the sanctuary and he sees a few things there. Okay, so he, he sees the tent of God's holiness. The sanctuary is God's royal tent on the earth where his presence was meant to dwell in a special way with his people. So he goes to be in God's presence and he goes and he reminds himself, I have the God, the only God whose presence really does dwell on the earth, who has sought out a people for himself and wants to dwell with his people. This is awesome. This is glorious. And before the sanctuary, he sees the altar of sacrifice where God had given to Israel as a gift, a, 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 a way of atoning for sin and dealing with sin and worshiping through sacrifice so that an unholy people could dwell in the presence of a holy God. And so he sees the mercies and the grace of the sacrificial system. And he comes and he says, this is glorious that my God would be so holy and be the one to provide for me a way to come and be in his presence through sacrifice. And he would see the sanctuary and he would know inside the sanctuary, though he wouldn't be able to see it because he wasn't the high priest, that inside the sanctuary was the ark of the covenant and inside the ark the ten commandments written by the finger of god and he would know that the holy god of the universe dwelling on earth has given to him an inspired word god has talked by his power and by his glory and so he goes to the sanctuary and he's seeing the presence of god and the sacrifice of god and the worship of god on the earth and he says this is what i have hungered for And Christians, we have all of that only way, way better. We have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit here with us today, living inside of us. We don't have to go to a sanctuary to hope that maybe there might be a pillar of smoke or a cloud of fire. We are the temples of God and we can have our souls satisfied at any minute of any day just by turning to the Lord and saying, this is great. I'm a temple of the Spirit. Whoosh! You can have, you are the presence of God as far as the being the temple. We don't have to walk anywhere. 
We just have to believe the truth and remind ourselves of the truth. The Holy Spirit is here and He is dwelling in us. This is glorious and amazing. And we have a way better sacrifice. We don't have the blood of bulls and goats. We don't have the smell of all this death. We have through faith the shed blood of Jesus Christ that not only lets us come to God, it lets us into the sanctuary itself. There was a place that no one could go to except the high priest and that just once a year. But through the shed blood of Jesus, not only do we get to go into the holies of holies in this world, we are the holy of holies in this world. This is amazing. And we are meant to satisfy our souls with the truth that Jesus Christ's sacrifice takes care of every barrier for us getting into the presence of God and every barrier keeping God from coming down to us in our moment of need. And beyond that, we don't just have the word of God written on stones by the finger of God. We have the words of God written onto our hearts and we have a full and completed bible that includes the story of jesus christ and the apostles reading which when we read it is god talking to us and him working in us through the holy spirit we have it better and better and better and better and better and through all this truth we can behold the power and the glory of god and have our thirsty souls satisfied not eating the styrofoam peanuts that the world offers us on netflix or youtube but actually being satisfied by the living god which is what the whole world wants and destroys themselves and each other seeking and not finding amen and David does something else as well. He, he, he says this, and I love the words, okay? The words of Scripture. Um, the actual written words are sometimes so surprising. They're not what I thought they were. You read it and you think, I think it says this. But then when you read closely, it's like, oh, it said something different. He says, my soul will be satisfied with fat and with rich food And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. What's he saying there? Okay, he's saying that, this is what I've never seen before. He's saying, God likes night snackers. Right, have you ever had insomnia or something like that? For for me, about 12.30 in the morning, if I'm not sleeping, that is peanut butter sandwich time. Oh, yes. And Jackie's nodding her head because she'll wake up the next morning, come into the kitchen and see that I've left the honey and the peanut butter out. And she'll be like, oh, he didn't sleep very well that last night. For me, 1230, that's the time. So I'll, stomach's telling me, peanut butter and honey sandwich time. And usually there's some butter in there and it's all very sickly applied. Um, and, and, and David's saying... This is when I am most satisfied in seeking God, in the middle of the night. So he does both, okay? He goes to the sanctuary, which is public, and there's tons of people, and it's on display. It's the Sunday morning meetings, and he meets with the Lord, and he sees his power and his glory, and his thirst is satisfied. But he also said, you know when my soul is really satisfied, like I'm eating cake, like I'm having bacon, like I'm eating steak, like I'm having the bean and kale salad, like I'm eating a peanut butter sandwich. You know when I'm most satisfied is when everyone else is asleep, it's the middle of the night, it's totally dark, and I'm meditating on the Lord. And that's where, when I feel like I'm, I'm just, it's like I'm at Carnival, and it's nonstop, just ah. And so I just think it's profound that David 
puts, keeps both of these together. Some people are like, yeah, you got to be alone with God to meet with God. And other people are like, if you don't go to church, you'll never have an experience of the Lord. And David's like, it's both, okay? You, you see God's glory. He wants to present himself in a special way when everybody gets together. And he wants these private, hidden, like, honeymoon experiences, regular honeymoon experiences with you and just you and you by yourself. Like in the middle of the night, back in the ancient Near East, there weren't a lot of people awake. Uh, it cost a fair bit of money to have any kind of light source. You have to like burn oil or something like that. And oil is expensive for us. You know, you just screw an led light bulb into your socket and you can keep that thing running for like 10 cents a decade. And, um, no hardship to be up all night, but David for him, it was, it was like work. And so if he was determined to be up in the night, nobody else was going to be up in the night because everybody else was sleeping. And so he's like, I I want to do the private prayer thing. That's when I'm satisfied. I'm thinking about you. I'm talking to you. I'm remembering your word alone. And that's when my soul is, is so enriched. And then, so I just want to end on verse 8. He says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I just love this picture because it's almost, sometimes you you can fall off of this fence on either side. What is the Christian life? Is it all me doing the work? Am I just, do I have to run around and seek and do this stuff and scrub these things and serve these things and I'm doing all the work and God's just sitting up in heaven going, well, if you're holy enough, we'll see how the judgment turns out at the end of your life. Well, if you're good enough, if you do enough stuff for me, I might think about opening the door for you when you die. Or is it just, God's going to take care of it. I don't have to do anything. He's just, he's in charge. He's got it. He's got it. No problem. And David instead, when he's living the real life with the Lord, he says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. This, this is it. As far as I'm concerned, this is the Christian life. I live clinging to you, God, and you live holding me up with your right hand. Um, and in, in the Old Testament, your right hand is your hand of power. And so what I've been thinking about is just like, what's a picture? Okay, so we watched the BFG the other day. And uh, it was a great novel as a kid, an okay movie. And uh, so there's this young girl, and she meets a giant. Anybody familiar with this story? Okay, great. At least one hand waver. And I didn't ask for hands, so I know you really like that story. And um, and she, she gets carried around by this giant as he's running around to giant land and back again, depositing pleasant dreams in people's houses, which is not an activity I'd recommend anybody here try to do. But he's running with her, and sometimes she's, I think in the book she's behind his ear, and sometimes she's in a pocket, but that's a picture of the Lord, like he is a giant of power, except you cannot build a planet big enough for him to stand on, he is so huge, he is a giant of power, and so when he is holding somebody in his right hand, he is holding them with a humongous grip of awesome and unstoppable power. And if you were in the hand of a giant who was running, you would be holding on for dear life, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be like, boy, there's a lot of stuff happening and I don't want to fall out. And so you hold on 
And it's not like David's clinging is any statement that God isn't able to take care of him. And it's not like God's ability to take care of him is any excuse for David just to go flaccid and find reasons to be lazy. Amen? It's, it's, it's both. You cling and he upholds. You can cling because he upholds. He upholds and gives you the strength to cling. And he holds on to you. And you say, well, I've, I stopped clinging and everything fell apart. Well, you know what? God's ruling over that stuff too. But probably it's time to seek again. Amen? So here's, here's the question. Will you seek him? Will you seek him? I'm not asking you how your life has been. I'm not asking you if you've sought him before. I'm not asking you if you think you're doing great. I'm not asking you if you think you're doing terrible. Will you seek him? Will you seek him? Because he gave us a psalm all about seeking him and being satisfied in him. I'm not asking you if you think you know how to seek him. I'm not asking you if you think you don't know how to seek him. I'm asking you if you'll seek him. I'm asking you if you will humble yourself and just say, I seek you. And then do what you know to do. I'm asking you, will you seek him? Without worrying whether or not he'll respond. I'm not asking you to decide what he needs to do to take care of you. I'm not asking you to even decide what you need to seek him about. Will you seek him? Will you seek him? I am asking you to decide whether or not you're hungry or not. To search your heart, whether or not you're hungry. To search your soul, whether or not you're thirsty. And if the truth is, I'm not hungry or I'm not thirsty, to answer the question, is it because I'm so full of God or is it because I'm so full of something else? And if the answer is the something else, will you seek him? Will you seek him to be hungry again? Will you seek him to thirst after him again? I'm not asking you if you feel like you're healthy enough to seek. I'm not asking you if you feel like you're strong enough to seek. I'm asking you if you'll seek him. The hurt seekers, they really find the Lord. The broken seekers, they really find the Lord. The in pain seekers, they really find the Lord. This church, let's seek him. You will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. And we'll come one step closer to knowing the truth that his steadfast love is better than life. Church, his steadfast love is better than life. Church, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life itself. Let's pray together. Father, I need you so much. Father, you know this morning I woke up and I didn't have anything for this message. All I had was a God. A God to come and rescue. A God to come and bless. And Father, you know in our hearts that many times, many of us, when we feel empty or lost, um, we feel abandoned by you first. Or we feel betrayed by you first. 
instead of seeing that we are just hungry for you and you are here and able and strong. God, I pray that you would help us to find you because you're right here. God, I pray that you would deal with every mindset that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Every fear, every anxiety, every apprehension, every offense, every judgment, every unforgiveness. Father, I pray that you would lead us out so that we could have you and more of you. Father, I desperately want you to stir in me and each one of us this holy jealousy that David had, where he would get in your face and say, you are my God. I refuse to turn to other things. I refuse to look somewhere else. You're my God. I'm going to sink or swim whether or not you uphold me. And I know that you will uphold me and you will satisfy my soul. God, would you give us this holy jealousy in a world that maybe doesn't know what it's like to see true, deep, zealous, powerful devotion to God. Father, would you do that in my soul first and foremost? And bless us. Amen.